the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You have an honest evaluation of your own heart and realize, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bad, I'm pretty sinful then you realize what you deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You see, God in His infinite mercy and grace towards us loves us so much that He made a provision so that we wouldn't have to face His justice. In today's message, Pastor Gary shares about the lengths God took to show you how much He loves you and wanted to redeem you. He loved you so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die a painful death on the cross. Jesus then conquered death, hell, and grave when He rose to life on the third day. And when you believe this in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You are now a child of God. Welcome to God's family of the redeemed. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua chapter 8 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The first city that they took, God says, don't touch anything in Jericho except the silver, gold, and bronze. Take that into my treasury. And that's where Achan disobeyed and took some stuff for himself. Isn't it interesting that if he had just waited? Because now God says, when you take IE, you can go ahead and help yourself to the plunder. If he had just waited, uh, he would still be alive and have some stuff. Uh, But because he disobeyed, he, he came to an untimely end. And so God says here, you, you can go ahead and take the plunder of the city. And he says, lay ambush for the city behind it. Now, God does not spell out a specific military campaign here. He's going to leave this up to Joshua, exactly how to carry this out. He gives Joshua some latitude here. So in verse 3, so Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. Now, when I get to the end of this section here, uh, by the end of verse 29, I'm going to come back and make some uh, observations. But one thing I want you to note is right here where he he chose 30,000 mighty men. In chapter 7, when the campaign did not go well, he had only chosen 3,000. All right? This is 10 times the army of chapter 7. There's some interesting contrast between the the, the defeat of chapter 7, the victory of chapter 8. That's one of them. And verse 4, and he commanded them saying, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city, 
Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. This is Joshua talking. And it will come about when they come out against us as at the first, the first time in, back in chapter 7, that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand, and it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. And so Joshua rallies the troops here and he explains to the people, here's what's going to happen. And he um, basically strategizes with them. And he says, look, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to set 30,000 people of the, of the soldiers in the army. We're going to set 30,000 soldiers in a position where they're going to ambush the city. They're going to be behind the city. They're going to be west of the city. And they're going to creep up only so far until they could be possibly detected and no further. You, you don't want to be seen here. This is a stealth operation. And so he says the 30,000 are going to line up behind the city of Ai. And he says, meanwhile, I'm going to take some other people and I'm going to go in front of the city and I'm going to pretend like we are the army advancing against the city. And when the people of Ai see us approaching from the north, they're going to come pursue us. When they pursue us, we're going to run and the chase is on. And when they pursue us because they think that we're the army, then the 30,000 who are lying in ambush go into the city and take it. And here's what happens. Verse 9, Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. And then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with them went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people, at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Okay? So th this is how it's working. Joshua's got some troops on the north of the city, some troops lying in ambush on the west of the city. He's got the front and the rear. And the king of Ai looks out, sees Joshua and this semblance of an army, and says, they're here to attack us, let's go attack them, and they're going to pursue the Israelites. And so he says in verse 15, and Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. 
There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. Look at this. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. They left the front door open. They're like, hey, we see these Israelites. They're, they're wanting to attack us again. Okay, round two. We'll give it to them. And so they open up the gates. They rush out to the north. They start pursuing Joshua and the semblance of army that he's gathered there. It's just a decoy. And Joshua goes, okay, let's all retreat as if they're going to pursue us and take us over. And let's make them chase us. And so they start booking it for the wilderness. Meanwhile, the king of Ai and his army says, great, we're going to keep pursuing them. They leave the front door open. They go pursuing Joshua and his army. Meanwhile, 30,000 are crouching in the west. And so when the king of Ai takes his army out of the city and leaves the front door open, the Israelites just go in. They don't even have to fire a shot. They just go into the city and they're going to lay siege to everything. Verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. And so they had no power to flee this way or that way, and the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. So now they're hemmed in. You know, they leave the city, and, and they're pursuing the Israelites, they think is the whole army of the Israelites. The majority of the army has already taken the city, they're burning it. The army of Ai looks back, and they realize, our city's on fire. Did somebody leave the, you know, a fire going in the fireplace? Because now something looks like it's on fire. Yeah, it's the whole city. Your whole city's on fire. We better go back. And, they, and then they, they realize, hey, we, we, we're going to run into the army. And just as they realize that, Joshua and the semblance of the army start pursuing them. So now they're hemmed in. They don't have anywhere to go. And so it tells us. Verse 21, now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they pursued them, and when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. Again, you know, when we read this, this is hard to look at. And this is hard to imagine, 12,000 people who have died. Um, again, when, when you look at the whole council of Scripture and you understand that even beginning back in chapter 2, when Rahab had declared to the Israelites that the reputation of God and the renown of God was already known by the people, and how they still, despite all of the miraculous testimony of God, and that Rahab even said, we know that you are the God of heaven and earth, when the people refuse to acknowledge and accept, then they suffer the consequences. Look, you know, justice is, is a real thing, but so is mercy. 
You know, I, I was, uh, one time there was a, a guy who used to sit on the planning commission here in Leesburg, and um, he was uh, uh, a gentleman's gentleman. Um, and he, he would come in every once in a while and want to ask me some questions um, because he was struggling with, with, you know, becoming a Christian and trying to understand God and the Bible and, and Jesus and faith. And so I, I was happy to meet with him uh, a few times. Um, some of some of you might already be familiar with this story, and and you know that he tragically died um, one day just walking down the sidewalk here in, in town. And I pray that he's with the Lord today. Um, but on one of our visits, he said to me, "One of the problems I have with becoming a Christian is seeing the justice of God." And I said, "Tell me what you mean by that." And he said, "Well, take for example the story of Noah." You know, he said. Assuming that that's true, because he's, he's still struggling to believe everything, assuming that that's true, why would God only rescue Noah and his family and condemn everybody else on earth to death by a flood? And I said, okay, you're looking at the story from the wrong angle. I said, let me ask you to come around to the other side of the ark and see it from this vantage point. And what I said to him was this, God designed an ark to rescue as many as would be saved. The problem is they didn't accept the offer for salvation. So when you look at it from one angle and you think, how could God condemn all these people and only rescue eight? Well, there's another angle to that. It is how could all these people deny the one way to be rescued? But they did. And they suffered the consequence for it. Sometimes when we try to reconcile the justice of God and the mercy of God, it, it's difficult, especially if we're just looking at the angle of the justice of God. That is so terrible. That is so harsh. That is so, you know, final. That, that, and, and then we can look at it from that angle. But, but if we would step to the other side and realize, yeah, and so that we don't have to suffer the consequences for our sins, the mercy of God was expressed through Jesus on a cross. But if you don't accept that, like those in the days of Noah did not accept the only way to be rescued, you suffer the consequences. And some people don't, don't like that idea. They, 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 their concept of God is, well, God should be all loving. And an all loving God means that he rescues everybody. No, 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 no. No, see, because we are inherently sinful. And therefore, sin must be judged. If God just overlooked our sin, he would not be a just and holy God. We understand this concept when we think about how maybe you've been wronged in real life. You think about somebody, let's say some intruder comes into your home, robs you of everything in your house of value, and is eventually caught and stands before a judge in court, arrested, stands before a judge in court. You want justice, right? You want, judge, throw the book at that guy, okay? What does that guy want? That guy wants mercy. The guy wants mercy. You want justice. And so it depends, you know, where you're coming from. But if, if a judge just simply said in a court of law, I'm talking about a, a natural physical court of law. If a judge just simply said, well, you know, I see what you did and I see how this family here is wrecked by your, by your thievery, but I'm still just going to let you go and there's no consequence, you'd be outraged, all right? Now translate it for yourself, they're a little more difficult when you put yourself in the shoes of the guilty one. But when God looks at us and sees that we are guilty, 
Okay? We deserve justice. And that justice means we deserve punishment. And the ultimate punishment is the consequence of sin results in death, that results in judgment, that results in hell. But the good news is, you see, that we can appeal to the judge of the universe because of what Christ has done. He is our advocate. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences for our sin so that a just judge can administer mercy. And we are the recipients of that mercy. It's hard sometimes to think about mercy and justice. How does that, how does that balance? Well, which angle are you looking from? See, when I, when I came to the place where I realized I deserve punishment, I deserve condemnation, and you realize and you, and you have an honest evaluation of your own heart and realize, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bad, I'm pretty sinful, then you realize what you deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You see, God in his infinite mercy and grace towards us loves us so much that he made a provision so that we wouldn't have to face his justice. Jesus assumed that justice, the wrath for us, as the substitution for us, his life given for our life, his sinless life given for my sinful life to reconcile me to God. So, The concept of justice and mercy can be difficult, but when you come at it from the angle of, wow, as much as I deserve his justice, he made a provision for his mercy towards me, then you're grateful and you're thankful. And so we see here, you know, this this, uh, justice that is executed against people who had the opportunity to turn, as Rahab did, from among the people of Jericho and to turn to the Lord. And the same would be true for the people of Ai, but they did not. And so it says in verse uh, 24, And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they pursued them, and when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty or plunder for themselves according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. And so Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Now, before going to the next section, which I don't think we're going to get to tonight anyway, I just want to make some simple observations about the difference between victory and defeat. They had defeat in chapter 7. They had victory in chapter 8. Here are some notable reasons why. Number one, in chapter 7, there was hidden sin, but in chapter 8, there was open obedience. You know, we can't expect God's um, favor if we are walking in disobedience, in willful disobedience to Him. When Achan 
willfully sinned against God and hid it, it resulted in defeat for the people. But when in chapter 8 they come to the place of obedience before the Lord, then God goes before them and gives them victory. The second thing I think is noteworthy of the difference between chapter 7 and 8 is chapter 7, it was about self-reliance. They're like, we've got this. And chapter 8 is about God dependence. God's got this. Because when you glance back at chapter 7, you know, uh, Joshua sends a a team on a recon mission to spy out IE. And the team comes back and they they say uh, in verse uh, 3 and 4, they say to Joshua, do not weary all the people there for the people of IE are few. Like we've got this. You don't need to bring the whole army of Israel. These people are few. Well, we find out there's 12,000 at least. But the, the, the recon team comes back and says, you don't need to send a bunch of people. We got this. This is easy. How about just 3,000? And that's all that go out in the first campaign in chapter 7. Because they, they were very self-reliant. Like, we've got this. Instead, what we need to be when we're fighting the battles that we come across in terms of like, you know, spiritual warfare and stuff in our own hearts and lives that are, we wrestle with is that we need to develop a God-dependence, not a self-reliance. Self-reliance will never be rewarded. A God-dependence always will. God's got this. We don't have anything, but God's got this. The other thing, I, the thing that I see here that's noteworthy, number three, is, is that in chapter 7, they took the enemy casually. In chapter 8, they took the enemy seriously. There was no strategy in chapter 7. In chapter 8, there's all of this strategic planning where Joshua says, okay, we're going to take 30,000, we're going to set them as an ambush here on the west side, and then on the north side, I'm going to take 5,000 others, and we're going to, you know, um, uh, hem them in from the front and from the back, and we're going to, I mean, it's, they were more strategically focused, and when it comes to the enemy of our souls, gang, listen, we can't get lazy or casual about how much he wants to rip us off. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And if we take our spiritual warfares and our battles casually, the enemy will eat our lunch. But if we are vigilant and we realize, man, the enemy, like Peter wrote in his epistle, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, how do you relate to a roaring lion? I hope not casually. The roaring lion is out to attack you and destroy you, your marriage, your kids, your family, everything about you. And so we have to be vigilant in this and realize, well, we can't get casual about this. We have to be serious about this. We have to be prayed up. We have to ask other people to help pray for us because the enemy of our souls is, is one who is continually waging war against us. He is relentless. Good news is greater is he, Jesus, in you than he that is in the world. And we need to constantly be reminded of this. That no weapon forged against me shall prosper. God's got this. He's in charge. He's going to fight for me. I rely on him and not on myself. And then the fourth thing, the last point I just wanted to make about all of this is that in chapter 7, they experienced God's anger. In chapter 8, they experienced his favor. The way chapter 7 begins is this. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accused things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. But chapter eight begins. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Chapter 7 begins with, with the full-on anger of God because God knows what was going on in the camp. Chapter 8 begins with his encouragement. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. 
And so when we fight our challenges and our battles, let's be careful in this sense to always honor the Lord, be obedient to him, uh, trust him, take our enemy seriously, uh, lean on the Lord and uh, watch his favor and his encouragement. Uh, even in the times when we feel like we don't, we don't have anything left in terms of our strength and watch God pour out his favor and his grace. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message in the book of Joshua again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. While you're there, you'll notice our companion resources. These digital study guides give you some additional insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done. They are completely free for you to use. If this ministry continues to be a blessing to you and you want to listen to more teachings, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person, so come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today, so put a marker in your Bible right there in Joshua, and we'll plan to study the Word again next time. Thanks so much for listening to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.